0: Ultimately, get your team to be a self-managing team right? so that you can be free to be the visionary, be the idea guy or gal, or be the relationship guy or gal, or the culture warrior within your business, or the thought leader in your industry, or whatever it is that, that your superpower is. It's about time doing that and have a leadership team that actually comes with batteries included. You're not pushing and pulling to get everything done because they won't do it without you pushing and pulling and prodding all the time. <sighs>
1: Welcome back to Seek Go Create. This is Tim Winders here. I've got a question for you. Ever felt like you're drowning in the chaos of growing your business, wishing you had a top-notch COO, but don't have a quarter of a million to spare? If this sounds like you, then buckle up because today's episode of Seek Go Create is a must. Listen, I'm thrilled to bring Ben Wolf to the show. He's the founder of Wolf's Edge and the brains behind fractional COOs. Ben found himself tangled in the complexity of his own growing business, but instead of staying stuck, he figured out a way to rise above it. He redefined success. That's what we like to do here at SeatGo Create. He eventually grew his venture into the largest of its kind in his state, but the journey inspired him to help others avoid the chaos altogether. Today, Wolf's Edge provides fractional COOs to businesses across America, filling a significant gap in the market. Plus, he's an Amazon best-selling author with his groundbreaking book fractional leadership, landing executive talent you thought was out of reach. This guy seriously adding value to the conversation on business leadership and growth, which is one of the things we're all about here at Seek Go Create. Ben, welcome to Seek Go Create. Thank you so much, Tim. It was such a beautiful introduction. I appreciate it. I'm glad you're here. We just met somewhere, pretending a little bit here. And I ask you what you do. What do you say when people ask you what you
0: do? I say that I have a firm of fractional chief operating officers, COOs, which essentially means that when a business owner is hitting the ceiling, and not able to grow anymore, they realize they need somebody who's actually done this before to help lead them and their team to, towards the path of actually scaling and achieving their dreams and not being stuck in the weeds in the day-to-day of the business. We become that experienced executive, that COO, to help them get their business to where they want it, to achieve their dreams live their highest and best value, not stuck in the weeds in the day-to-day and stuff they don't really like doing so they can live their ideal life. And then after nine to 18 months, helping pass the baton and and find a new long-term person for that on a full-time basis.
1: I I think a lot of people will be familiar with some of those terms, the fractional leadership, fractional executives, things like that. We'll define it in just a moment, but before we do that, I want to do a backtrack and it seems like a cool story of how you came into this type industry. And usually journeys are what we're all about. We go through this and we find out we like this or don't like this. Then we pivot or go somewhere. And it seems like that was part of your process. What can you share about that? What do you want to share about that? Just how you came to be where you are now?
0: I was a corporate restructuring a bankruptcy attorney in a previous life at a big Manhattan law firm. That, that yeah. sounds
1: super exciting. Was that exciting as it sounds?
0: In certain ways, it was. It was, I came into it after the, the 2008 recession and worked on some really interesting cases, high profile bankruptcies of Lehman Brothers, American Airlines, hospital, hospital systems, and all kinds of things. So it was interesting in certain ways, but happy that I'm not doing it anymore. Ended up through a very strange series of events after doing that at a healthcare startup that you mentioned earlier in New York state and learned how to launch the business. I had to figure it out. I did not have an entrepreneurial background. As I mentioned, I was an attorney before that, but just learned a lot from having to do it at this company I ended up at. Built most of the operations there. We were over, again, zero revenue. I was the first full-time employee. And by the time I left, we were 130 people and, and over 100 million gross revenue and largest healthcare agency of our category in the entire state of New York. And so I just learned a huge amount about five, growing a five-person business, a 50 a 100% or 100 plus business. Learned a huge amount just by doing. And everybody there was also doing it for the first time. Nobody had done it before. And really saw the need there for having somebody who had been through this journey before as we were figuring everything out for the first time. But after, as I left there looking for new challenges and came to a smaller healthcare business, a COO, and there was, found myself in a very unhealthy environment and came to realize after a couple of months that it was not going to be a situation where I was going to have a path to success and helping this company be successful or what it wanted to do. And so I put in my resignation and was thinking what, you know, what to do next. And I had a certain amount of PTSD of like diving in with both feet in another organization full time. And, and I had heard about this concept of doing this thing fractionally, of doing this, of doing this kind of role for multiple companies. I wanted to make a big impact, that's why I left the, the the first business that became so successful, and just decided to hang up my shingle as a fractional chief operating officer, also called fractional integrator, as a solo practitioner. I learned from tons of people. I did tons of networking. I learned from tons of people what it takes to be a solo, whether you're a consultant or a fractional executive of some kind, or any kind of independent professional. Business development's a huge part of the job description. So I had to learn how to do that and maybe grew faster than some, slower than others. Took me about 15 months to become busy, what I considered to be fully booked the first time. And after that, I guess I had hit a certain critical mass of the work that I had been doing. And so continued getting a lot of leads, referred them out for a while then eventually started to build a firm. And so that's ultimately decided to build that firm. And I learned through this whole process. I talked to also lots of C- fractional CFOs and people in fractional sales and marketing and finance and operations and people leadership, and learned a tremendous amount from doing and from other people. And I saw nobody had written a book explaining to business owners what this whole concept of fractional executive is. You don't. You may need someone who's done this before as your CFO or your CMO or your VP of Sales or your CTO or your CIO or your COO. But you can't afford that $250,000, $300,000 person who's actually an executive that's really done this before to bring them on board. And maybe you don't even need that person at your scale and size, or you can't afford it. So it's a great tool. It's a great democratizer of talent in making it available for business owners, but nobody had written about it. I couldn't believe it. So I wrote the first, and I'm not the one that's been doing it the longest. I'm not the biggest expert, but I wrote the first book on the industry and like you said, became a bestseller. That's but, the basics of how I got into this space.
1: As often happens over the last few days, I read in my normal reading style about 40% of it per my Kindle. And then early this morning, I went, ooh, I'm talking to Ben. And then I did a super high-speed reading of the remaining 60. Wow. But I agree, it is a very good definition. I'm someone who understood a little bit of fractional but it really covers a lot of basics and a lot of good basic questions. We'll talk about that in just a moment. I want to get to the book a little bit later here and talk about really the value of fractional leadership and really how it's even come to be. So we'll get to that in just a moment. I want to back up just a second here though, because there were a couple of leaps that you gave in the story that I think I want to understand more about those leaps to me. I've been around quite a few lawyers, and so you're <laughs> trained in law. I'm sorry, you know where I'm going here. I'm trained in law, and I've also worked a lot with startups. As a coach and executive person myself, I've worked a lot of with startups. And I got to tell you, Ben, I'm having trouble with someone going <laughs> yeah. from law to being the first person hired at a startup, help. There's got to be a little bit more to this. We don't have to go into if it's ugly. I, we're okay with ugly too. But yeah, there's what the
0: heck was going on there. The, there's a couple of angles that we we could go with for that story. One is from their perspective, like why would they bring in this guy with a law background? Yeah. But the so that's one aspect of the story. The other aspect of the story is my experience, right? Which was that. And after five years there, things said, things were getting slow in the corporate bankruptcy world. Our department's billings were getting low. My billings were particularly low within the department. So a few of us mid-level or senior associates were let go. And so I lost my job And on my 40th birthday. and And so that was not fun. I started trying to look for in-house counsel jobs and other bankruptcy law firm jobs. And I had some progress with some of those, but I don't want to limit, limit that. I, I took the, I had a friend give me the Clifton strength finder. If you're familiar with that assessment. Yeah. I want to and say we're, started- we're
1: very familiar here in our audiences. We've actually interviewed some experts in Clifton strengths here. And I love that assessment because it goes for the strengths, not just this personality profile thing. So yeah, we, I I love that. I just want to add that commercial in.
0: Yeah, no. So it was very interesting and it was part of me trying to get a better understanding of myself and what other things could I potentially even later in life think about going into that would utilize my strengths, that would maybe utilize more of my strengths than what I was doing in the law and so i started exploring that I started i started applying at nonprofit executive director jobs actually either running small nonprofits or or running regional divisions of larger ones so i had a number of applications to this there's a guy i met was starting a non. I, don't know, I mean already had a nonprofit looking at someone to run it and met with him, had a good meeting 2 hours ended up not hiring anybody but he texts me three months later. I was unemployed for a total of five months. Texts me three months later after this meeting. Hey, yeah, whatever. He just texts me. We got on a phone call, and then by that Thursday, you offered me this job. And so that's my part. And I know one of the themes on your show is you know, and then and then ended up learning and and accomplishing amazing things in that role. But the one one of the one of the themes I know you have on your show is redefining success. And so it was a major journey for me to think about not feeling successful and like losing a job and being a man and wanting to support your family and not wanting to be at risk and also getting help from family. And that's not a fun feeling. And it's wonderful that people could do it, but it's not fun. And it was it was a scary time. And and to think, and then I go from that being a mediocre big corporate lawyer to, to you know to being the main builder of this organization they got to be over 130 people at the time. It's over 500, five, people now and, and, and multiple hundreds of millions in revenue. But it just was a great experience that I never would have had and never would have been open to if I hadn't lost my job, right? I would not have been open-minded to put myself in those situations or think, try to think more creatively about what I could do if it hadn't been for that. And circumstances, providence... Just put me in that situation to rediscover. But now I've got the book on a, the first book on an entire industry, and I'm leading this whole firm to my own business that I never would have had the bravery to start my own business, or I never would have even been in the entrepreneurial world if it hadn't been for what happened. So there's not my doing, but just Providence the taking control and redefining, forcing me to redefine success. And I could tell you from his perspective too, why he wanted to hire somebody like. Me, but that's a, it's a separate story. It is, it yeah. is, it is funny, but the
1: cool thing. Have you ever thought about what your life would be like if you were still in in law?
0: I, I try not
1: to. <laughs> good answer, good answer. My, my wife and I are almost the same, Ben. We would not wish what we went through back after 08 with our companies and all. We wouldn't would wish not it not on that. anyone. But just like we were chit chatting before we hit record, we're living in an RV traveling right now. We're with grandkids right close to them for the month, for the entire month. And we know we would never be in this position had it not been for that ugly time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, but I do want to, there's one thing that I I popped in my head, startup world, you have to be a little bit, I'm going to use a couple of words here that may or may not be a good fit, but I'll, maybe you'll understand. Sometimes you have to be a little bit naive, like sometimes almost Not know you can fail. And also, you need to be pretty brash and bold. I don't want to use the word delusional, but that's sometimes what comes to mind to be really good. (laughs) And I know when I went through some ugly things, and you mentioned you got fired and let go from this firm. And I'm sure that was part of your identity. If you want to use, I, I like to use the word identity. I mean, we kind of get wrapped up. That's why I ask. What do you do at the beginning of the show? Because I like to really see where people are with quote unquote, what they do and their identity and all that. And, but how was your confidence level? Did you think you can do it? You were stepping into something that. Where in the startup? Yeah. Now looking back on it, obviously you and the other team, everybody, y'all nailed it or you did great. And I know you went through a lot of bumps along the way, but 40 years old lost your job, you're going through all these things you're thinking about. Where was your confidence level stepping into this startup?
0: With anything I do, there's obviously the internal confidence and doubts, but like it's about making a decision. If you just decide to do it, then there's no then it, it's not even a like once you start something, it's not even a it's not like confidence is almost an irrelevant point. It's really irrelevant. It's just we decided to do it and success is the only option. So we're just going to do it. And there's no real thought of, there's no real thought of failure, of actual failure. You just do what you got to get. You just do what you got to do. There's no no thought of confidence. You just have to. So when I was building up my solo practitioner, my, my solo fractional COO practice also, it was 15 months before I was full of course, I doubted, can I really do this? Am I ever going to get clients? Is this going to work? Of course, I had those doubts. But whenever I got on a phone call, whenever I'm doing the business development things I, I decided to do, hit my metrics and my measurables that I set for myself, I Didn't. The, there's no room for doubt. There's no room for looking unsure of yourself when you're actually in a conversation with anybody or when you're writing an email to sound uh, meek or unsure of yourself. You just got to... You just gotta fake it and act confident. And I can just tell you for myself, with whatever I felt on the inside, just acting confident and trying to do what I understood to be the right things to do to to grow the business. Ultimately, ultimately was relatively successful. I'm in my certain sub worlds that I live in. I'm pretty well known at this point and well respected, and getting leads and referrals multiple every week for our team members. Thank God going to think until you make it. Sometimes, I don't want to say
1: our backs need to be against the wall or we need to be in a, we need to be pressed. Like the olives, they're they're pressed in grapes. You press them to get what's good out of it, the olive oil or the wine or whatever it is. So maybe we do need to be pressed at times. I, I've thought, this is an interesting thing and we'll talk about this and then we're going to move into, I want to do a deep dive into fractional leadership in the book and all, but I've often thought I, I went to Georgia Tech and I got an industrial and systems engineering degree. And I think back about how I did that. And I really look back and I go, you know, what? that's not what I was created to do. I was created to do roughly what I'm doing now, maybe with some variations that I'm still working on, putting pieces together and all that. So, so I'm going to ask you a little bit of a trick question. Were you created to do what you're doing now? And if so, then how did you end up going to law school? <laughs> because that to me, sometimes I I wonder, and I wonder, because I've got young, I've got young, you know, my children are, you know, in their 20s, 30s, and I always wonder how to counsel people that are attempting to do something at a young age. So that's a little bit of the layer here. It seems like law was just a doorway for you to go through to get to
0: something else. Yeah, it feels that way. The, I I think that at least looking backward, the unique set of experiences and skills that each of us get from whatever particular winding path we took to, to get where we are, created a unique and particular set of skills, as Liam Neeson would say, that, will, that uniquely equips us for whatever we're doing, and that attention to detail, that analysis... That legal knowledge and background, and also at that startup, I also served as general counsel, so I broadened the legal subjects there too a little bit. But um, oversaw multiple outside counsel. But the but it's it just come it just altogether puts puts a unique set of skills into a person. But it's a different perspective when you think about okay, now you're talking about your kids in their twenties, thirties, or teens, thinking what they should do, and there's no there's no career path that says, in my case, go to college and go to rabbinical school, then go and join a Jewish educational organization in Iowa for three years, then work in industrial real estate brokerage for two years, then go to law school as a night student while you work full time in the law during the day because you're supporting family, then get this great corporate job. For a bunch of years, and then go in and create a startup. That's not a career path that someone can opt into from the beginning. It's not anything that anybody w- would do, but somehow it all it all uniquely comes together to to, to make me who I am. But you know, all, all I tell my kids is to to is to look to the best clues that they can in themselves for what they're more likely to enjoy or be interested in. And pursue that. Nobody knows what their future holds. That's really all you have to go on is your own interests and skills, talents, and strengths. So follow those wherever they lead. And then will it work out? Will it not work out? I don't know. But you just trust that there's some sort of providence out there that's gonna lead you on, on the ultimate right path for yourself. I, I, I'll say that. I, I know
1: we're both. I, I know we're both men of faith. From, from I'll call it a related faith, but maybe different faiths. And I think that the only thing that we really have some foundation with, the only thing to really share with kids or anyone else is, you know what, get that foundation of faith. Because everything else is just, (laughs) it's hard to gauge. It could go in any direction. And I trust, you have to have some trust. Yeah, yeah, trust. And one of the things that I think that bothers me in the world we're in, you and I were just talking about this briefly, just with some current events and just the way the content creation and news cycle is that there are so many people out there that speak in such a tone of def- definiteness, of absolute, this is the way it is. And then a few days later, we realized that wasn't the way it was. And just like we're talking about our careers, I, I, I don't know. I'm about to be 60. You know what? I'm preparing for my next decade and learning a few new things and diving into AI and practicing some stuff and I'm actually super intrigued with fractional leadership from reading your book and thinking, huh, I've actually been doing that some. I wonder if I'm a fractional leader and different things like this. Is, and it's just that growth thing that I think, I think a lot of people need to latch on to it. So let's shift a bit and let's start really diving into this topic of fractional leadership. I want to say that in the book, you go over some great, you really do build just like a lawyer would, you build a pretty darn good case. Look at what we did there. We connected the dots. Nice, nice segue. (laughs) You built a great case for people considering it. Some people it works for, some people it doesn't. But why don't we start off this conversation for those that may not be familiar with it. Why don't you give us just a, a nice, general, simple definition of what we're talking about And then we'll start maybe zigging and zagging and seeing where we end up with the conversation. But just what is, when we say fractional leadership or fractional C-level or fractional, uh, you know, whatever, there's a lot of different terms. Maybe this is a good time to hit a lot of the terms with it. All right, ready? Go.
0: Fractional leadership or fractional executive is essentially the same as a regular executive at its most basic level, right? Because what's the difference between an executive and a consultant, right? Is the executive, whether it's marketing, sales, operations, finance, technology, people, or whatnot, is responsible for a major function of your business. They don't, they're not working on a project. They're not just there to give advice and give you a big report and tell you what to do and wish you good luck. But they are responsible for a major function of the business. If it's marketing, they're responsible for the marketing function of the business, all of its metrics and all of its people and all of its results. And same thing for operations or finance, sales, technology, et cetera. And so that's what a fractional CTO, CIO, CMO, COO, etc., CFO, is there your head of finance, they're and they're responsible for your people, your systems, your numbers in that department of your business. They just fulfill that role in a fractional as opposed to full-time basis, But it's the same as a regular executive in that sense. And the difference is that you're able to, unless you're a very large organization, you're able to afford somebody with a much higher level of experience and and background having done this before than you would otherwise if you were doing it full-time.
1: All right, let me hit, I'm going to hit some devil's advocate, some counters to it. It's like, how could someone do a great job in my organization if they're not working for us full time.
0: So that's a great question. The the it's interesting. I think one of the things you have to delve into to understand where that question comes from for at least for most of us is a perception that comes from what I call helicopter I talk about it in the book Helicopter Management which is this idea that the way that your organization evolved and grew over time, you end up having a bunch of people who are maybe not the right people for their roles and some who are maybe not even right for the organization at all, maybe toxic or whatever issues that they have or good work ethic or whatnot. And they're people issues, not enough attention to de- detail, not enough care about customers, whatever it is, they're not the right people. Or you have processes that just developed and were added onto and turn into this Frankenstein's monster of processes and systems that don't work, don't make sense, or maybe an organizational structure that doesn't make sense. And you end up having people that are not right or systems or processes that are not right. And then because you have full-time managers that are hovering like a helicopter parent over their people and their output and whatever goes to customers and whatever people see, or you're doing it, or you have three levels of review of something that really should only need one. So because of that helicopter management, you're masking all these people issues and these process issues. So you think it has to be full-time because if you would take away that babysitting and that helicopter management, all, all heck would break loose. It, it wouldn't work if it's not full-time. I think that it's important to realize that I think that kind of mindset, that's how a lot of businesses work is there's just like a lot of helicopter managers or helicopter people and babysitters. And so when you have a fractional, what that takes away is it takes that, is it takes that mask away, it takes that mask away from people issues and takes that mask away from process and metrics issues. And when a fractional comes in, they're not there full time. They're not there to babysit. It's true. They can't babysit. So. What they have to do is they set up meeting cadences with the relevant people that they supervise or the teams that they supervise, or in the case of a COO, with the leadership teams that they supervise. And they set up measurables to which those people are responsible. They set up accountability around projects or goals or milestones, and they review those at that weekly cadence. And if stuff is not happening in between, there's nothing to cover it up. Like the numbers are there or the milestones are met they're not met or like people either doing what they're supposed to be doing or they're not doing it. And you're not there to always save them when it doesn't work or when people aren't working. And so it just brings to the forefront all these issues that may have been masked before that. And so part of the answer to your question is how do you do it when it's only part-time? And the answer is through measurables, through meeting cadences, through one-on-ones, but setting it up at a cadence, not like constant chipping 10, 20 questions a day, right? But setting that up at at a healthy cadence. Which honestly, actually, that really is what you should be doing even in full time, because you, you're you as a manager or a leader are going to be much better used to yourself and your team, not to be answering 50 questions a day or supervising every single proposal that goes out and every single detail. But but if you're freed up from that by having good processes, good systems, and the right people, then you could also add much more value to the business even in a full time role. But certainly in fractional, like you're only there for the leadership part of it. So yeah. you are and. I think that's an important aspect. I think that underlies the question when people have a hard time getting their head around, which is understandable how you can have an executive, a leader level that's not full-time. What's
1: interesting, I like the parenting analogy that you use because I was sitting here thinking, as you were saying, I was thinking about organizations I've worked with or for, and it does seem as if often the leadership, we'll just say leadership, sometimes it's a founder, sometimes it's You know, there's also this no man's land for a lot of companies. And I think you deal with it. You see it. There's this place where people say, if we just have more money and resources, we could just hire all the people we need and things will be great. I don't know that I agree with that. I think there needs to be a progression and the progression needs to be, and I'm spending time right here with my granddaughter. So they're one in four. And I think a lot of people treat their business, some of them treat their lives this way, as if they're dealing with babies and toddlers. When they're 21 years old, and they really need to be treating them with a little bit of just accountability, let them go do their own thing, check in, like you were talking about process systems and things. And I think that's a culture thing. In fact, I think you talk about it in the book some that there is important, it is very important to have a culture that can have a, a, a fractional leader. And that is open to it because you also need to have a, a team and a group of people that are okay with someone coming in and out. Let's just use an example. One day a week is that seems like a good rhythm. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, very often.
1: Yeah. So they come in one day a week. and but, but, So there needs to be the culture that's there that can handle it. Talk a little bit about, you already mentioned the helicopter parent. What type of a culture and a business would be ripe for something
0: like a fractional leader. I'll speak more to the business owner cuz that that's really the most relevant question when it comes to what culture is open to it cuz if the business owner is has got the right attitude and he he w- wants the help and is open to growth and learning and wants to do things better cuz like that's why they're bringing somebody in right cuz they want something different than what they have and If they're behind it, if they have got a good attitude, then even if everybody else in the organization doesn't, it may take a while, but you'll eventually get there. You may have to replace most of the company, but you'll eventually get there. You'll eventually be successful. So it's really, and even if the team has got great attitude and everything, but if the business owner is not open-minded and is not really committed to making the hard decisions to actually achieve the success that they ostensibly want, then you're not going to be successful even with a great team and a great culture among the leaders and managers or for frontline employees. So think more about the business owner. Yeah. And if the business owner is, has a certain level, obviously they have a certain level of expertise and a certain level of genius uh, to have built what they build and done what they've done, but they have to together with that also have a level of humility and a level of frustration with how things are going and really a desire to want to know and, le- and do a better way. And be open minded to that. I've had calls with potential clients where we get on the phone and they spend, or Zoom, and we get on the call and, and, and hear on and on what a great team they have, what a great product they have, what great customers they have, what great processes they have, how great they are. And we're just like, okay, what, like, why are we on the phone then? But you, you don't to, need anybody. You don't process. need it. Sounds like you're doing good no, it's always good to tweak and you can always grow and there's always room for improvement. That sort of engagement is not going to work. Such a person is not going to be successful with a fractional executive or many things just because they think they know it all. When it comes to having to make tough decisions or evolve and change to the new reality that they're either in or that they want to be in to set that up for success, they're not going to be willing to do it. And then ultimately, they're not going to be successful in it. And they're going to probably blame you for not being successful since they had hired you, if they would have hired you. So I would say it's more about the business owner's desire, frustration with how things are going and desire for a better way. And if that's there and, there, and there's a more or less a core values fit between between the fractional executive and the business owner, then I think that you you can overcome almost any other obstacle. Mm.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. As you were saying that, I was sitting here thinking that it's the same thing with me. I I call myself a coach. At times, I'm not even sure that's a good term. I've tried to use the term strategic coach before because I'm more strategy and all. And I do, you talk about it in the book, I actually find myself being part of the leadership team uh, because I don't like that term consultant. You talk about drive-by consultants. I do think there's a time and place for consultants, though. Some people need those. Uh But one of the things you do, maybe I want to divide up our conversation here over the next few minutes with two areas. I want to talk about the business owner that might be considering or thinking or might need to consider or think about it. And what I was thinking about earlier is people that say, we could use some help. That's really the foundation for when people talk to me and they probably talk to you is, you know what, we're not perfect. We need help. And, And that's, I think, valuable to come to that place. But let's talk about the business and just the, I don't know if it's levels, I don't know if it's stages that they go through that might lead them to say, we could use this or maybe we need to consider it. I've actually got a client that I thought about when I was reading the book. I'm going, hmm, they might could use one in the area of sales. We've been struggling with some things in our sales team recently let someone go. I'm going, we actually could use I'll call it a hired gun, but we could use a fractional salesperson that can come in. But go through some of those stages and talk about stages that people might go through that might end up connecting them to you or to a fractional person.
0: Stage would be that w- when you just realize that you don't have you don't have the knowledge or experience on your team for a particular role in the business, for a particular function of the business to get it where it needs to go. The sales example is great. Your you tried this, you tried that, you tried experiments, you tried taking a course or while learning and reading. And you just realize like one of the books behind me for those watching on the video is called Who Not How, which is that sometimes it's not the best use of your own time and energy to just learn a whole new thing from the ground up. Like sometimes it's a better use of your energy to focus your energy on what you're loved doing and are great at. Is that going to be that's going to be where you can add hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in value to your business is by focusing on what you're great at. Instead of taking away time from that to learn everything about sales and try to be the sales leader yourself, bring in for eight, 10, 12,000 whatever per month, a fractional sales leader to, to who, who's done it before, who's built sales organizations, who knows about metrics and training and systems and CRMs and everything else and it's like they're doing it in their sleep they've done it a million times before and and you could just have all the benefit of that without having to reinvent the wheel that's a it's a good example of that same thing on the CFO side again very often when you have C- the CFO is somebody that just grew up in the organization and figured out how to use QuickBooks and how to run the numbers and and everything and they're not really functioning as a CFO. They're more of a money manager. They take care of AR, AP, uh, bookkeeping, reconciliations, but they're not. But you're not having that financial leadership of that you really need. And so when you get to a scale where you start to need that, you need that extra insight. You're throwing away. Tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars a year on waste or missing out on opportunities or not seeing threats coming or not building relationships with your bank because you just don't have a real financial leader that knows what an organization of your maturity really needs to have to be healthy and successful and not put itself at risk. And so bringing that CFO who's done it before. Again, could be 5,000, 10,000, whatever per month. You'd have a CFO, like a real CFO who's done this for multiple businesses on your team as your financial leader. Uh, it's a great thing. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to figure it out yourself. And and that person who's good at the day to day of finance, they could run the day to day of finance. That's perfect. P- pair up that person with the CFO. It's a perfect marriage. Mm-hmm. Same thing with operations, like with the COO side, where where we are, where we lead the leadership teams, and we hire a lot of these other roles, whether full time or fractional. We're putting people in those roles, and so it's the nexus of it all in the COO role. And again, it's very often the business owner has to fulfill that COO role in the absence of anyone else. And they are they may be great at product development or maybe they're great at sales or they're great at whatever they're great at and should spend their time focused on. But in the day-to-day of the business, when you grow beyond a certain point of 20, 30, 50 people and you just, it just stops working, it's too complicated. You start getting into problems, you try things and they're not working. You try one thing, you try another thing, you're not working. Need someone that's built a business like yours before, someone who's done this before. Say so that you could focus on what you do love doing, what you are great at, and bring in an outside COO that's done this before to help lead your leadership team, help elevate those people so they could be the right people. And if they're not, help replace them with the right people and ultimately get your team to be a self-managing team right? so that you can be free to be the visionary, be the idea Guy or gal, or be the relationship guy or gal, or the culture warrior within your business, or the thought leader in your industry, or whatever it is that your that your superpower is. It's about time doing that and have a leadership team that actually comes with batteries included. You're not pushing and pulling to get everything done because they won't do it without you pushing and pulling and prodding all the time. I guess somebody else uh, who's an expert in, in 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 doing that or in setting up a group of people who don't need that done. One of the things I love about
1: it, I, I love testing things, and to me it seems like a good way to test out some stuff. Let's see what our culture's like and all that, but that's not, that's not the, I don't want to go down that road right now. I want to ask a question that I'm sure you've heard this because I hear this all the time and I'm going to ask it and then I'm going to let you say how you would respond to it or, and maybe you would respond to it differently because we're in this nice, cool interview format and you're not actually, you know, closing a sale or talking to anyone about it. You know, you're having this conversation and I say something to the effect of Ben, but our business is different. We do it differently here. We've got our own this or that or our product is different or whatever. And I know you've heard that. I've heard it. First of all, this might be the cool thing. What goes through your mind when you hear somebody say that? Not what comes out of your mouth, but what goes through your mind? When someone
0: says, but Ben, our business is different. All right. Obviously in the mind, it goes to the concept of terminal uniqueness. 80% of businesses are the the same, regardless of whether it's manufacturing or SaaS companies or retail or professional services, like 90% of running a business and right structure and vision and accountability and metrics now what those what that vision is what those metrics are what the capabilities are specifically for that'll be different but the fact that there are those things and we just need to name whatever they are at each unique business is where the differences come in and there there are unique things of course 20% of businesses are different and and so there are unique things that are different in your business and anybody else's or your customer or your product or your Clients and customers than any other business. But what I say out loud to to answer that question is that what a fractional executive, if they're good and like my team, is adept at is marrying together their experience running businesses and managing teams and setting vision and and driving execution towards whatever the unique visions of each of those businesses are. Most of that is the same and similar. marrying that experience together with learning from you guys learning from the business owner and the other members of the team the unique things of their business and not usurping or replacing your knowledge of your customers your product and your team uh, with ours because it is going to be unique in some ways and so marry you know when We would, even after a year, even after full time for a year, we wouldn't understand all the nuances of the business and your customers and your product the way you know it. We would never accomplish anything if we had to understand it to the same extent you do. So what we do is we marry together that utilization of the wisdom in you and your leadership team and marrying that together with our experience about what works and what doesn't work and how you have to build a business and what things are important. So we're not reinventing wheels. And marry those two things together and then drive execution on it. And that's essentially how we do it and why we're able to start making changes in business and making an impact within the first few weeks. Even though we don't know everything about the business within that amount of time, but we don't need to. We marry together your experience and your knowledge with our background and our experience connected to together. Mm. So,
1: So another thing... Being someone who lives a little bit of a different lifestyle, we get the question all the time, why would you live in a motor coach and travel? And because the fractional leader is a little bit different than tradition, we'll call it. I'll ask you this way. This is something that as I was reading through the portion of the book, I was deeply reading, not scanning. I was thinking what I really wanted to ask you was, especially because you see a number of them, tell me what you can about the mindset, not the technical skills or the skills or even the background of a fractional leader, but tell me about the mindset of someone who has an interest in being a fractional leader, because that, that to me, that seems fascinating. And if you say, no, it's not that fascinating, we'll move on. But to me, it seems fascinating to take this group of people that's that are saying, I have either done certain things in my life and I wanna move forward and do it with three, four, five companies or whatever and work here one day, here one day, maybe all virtually, but still. So does that is that an okay question to ask about the mindset and is that something you can speak to?
0: Yeah, sure. I would say that there's... People who go into this, who do this, does three main benefits that they want from it or that they are feel drawn to, which I call more fun, more flexibility, and more money. So it's more fun for them, at least. Again, everyone has different interests, but more fun for them because they get to work with different companies every day. There's more variety because they're fractional not full-time, they get pulled in a lot less into boring parts and the administrative stuff. And they really get to operate much more to a higher level with the businesses that they work with. And they get to make a major impact, work with them for 12 or 9 or 12 or 18 months, and then move on to the next major challenge, right? They see major change that they were able to drive, feel a lot of satisfaction from that. So it's more challenging, more variety, with more fun in that sense. More flexibility because you could really make a lot more in three days a week in fractional work than you can in full-time of a full-time executive role. And so you, and let's say in just three days a week of client work. So you can have that more flexibility during those other two days a week, so to speak, of whether it's driving your kids, driving your kids to sports games out of town on the weekend or whatever, taking long weekends or conference or Whatever, just you could use that time work doing business development and internal administrative work. But, but it's just it's just more flexibility. Some people like some people like that flexibility and the and the last thing is more money. Like I said, you could make more in about three days a week of client work than you can full time in an executive. For most executives, you can make more money, and so people like that too. And that's uh, attracts people to it. I think there's a perception among some that fractional executives are people that like lost their corporate jobs and can't get another one. And so they just put themselves out as fractional. And uh, there are people like that out there and they may say fractional when really they're just job seekers and they're hoping to do a rent to own situation. They're hoping it like works out and that they'll get hired at whoever their client is. So there are those out there like that, but the people who really want to be fractional leaders, the people I wrote my book about were those who really want to do this. And if I've been offered full-time jobs. A lot of people I know have offered full-time jobs. You're like, why in God's name earth would I ever give this up to like work full-time again? Like I would never do that. So that's, it's almost like laughable when you, like, when you think people offer full-time jobs. Thanks, but no thanks. I've heard
1: the same thing about, you know, someone who's like a coach or an executive coach like me. It's like, oh, can't, you know, lost your gig, lost your job, whatever. And, and no, but one of the things, and I think you skirted it on some of the things you just brought up in those three items. One of the things that I love that to me would be super appealing about being a fractional leader is, I I think the word diversity might be part of it, but the ability to see a lot of examples and sample a lot more stuff. Because one of the things that I feel like some of the biggest value that I bring in with a client is not the fact that I had companies and we lost them, even though that is actually part of my story, but the fact that I'm working with eight to 10 at one point and I'm learning from every one of them. And I'm taking from one, not trade secrets, not nothing like that, but I'm just taking things that worked here and saying this actually could work here also. And you know what? I actually find that I enjoy interacting with diverse. I don't even know if it's companies, people, leadership styles, cultures, different things like that. That's part of it too, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's definitely an appeal. You have, we have the same benefit, obviously, and fractional executives have the same benefit. And we, with my firm, Edge Integrators, we try to multiply that by having all of our team members are meeting every week and talking over our sticky client issues with each other. So we have a brain trust of fractional COOs that are all benefiting from each other. So we got one challenge and we'll, we'll come back to our client with eight different ideas and other things that have been done on other companies, not just from our own experience, but from our colleagues' experience, which is nice.
1: Nice. Could I pay a couple bucks and just be a part of that brain trust? <laughs> Actually, interesting thought there. So a couple of things I want to wrap up and talk a little bit more about the book. But before I do, there's a couple of learning points I want us to get from you because I always love when I interact with people, it goes back to what I just brought up, interact with people that get to see a lot of examples. And I know you see a lot of things from companies, company leadership, businesses, and organizations. And then you also see a good bit from the leaders and your fractional leaders that you have. I would like for us, we've got a a few minutes left here before we start wrapping up talking about the book as we finish up, but tell me, a couple of things for anybody listening that are like a best practice or a tip or something that you've picked up just from companies. And I guess if you want to say hire a fractional leader, that would be okay. It would be a little bit lighter than I'm looking for here. I'm looking for something that you've learned from dealing with all the organizations and then maybe something from all the fractional leaders. And then and then we'll
0: mention a few things about the book before we finish up here. Maybe what I'll share is this: one of the, you know, for people that want to understand what, let's say, a fractional COO would be doing in their business, and but besides hiring one, like how could you do some of that stuff yourself? What are we doing in our businesses with our clients? And one of the things we do, especially in the first quarter, is we put together, we get a, we we get a a a sense of what's going on, what all the issues are, what's the thousand. Potential priorities and issues and challenges, and and, and all the ideas that are vying for attention and looking for priority, and we put together a roadmap during that first quarter of what does the actual path look like. You 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 say we get clear from them what they want to accomplish, where they want to get to, and then we look we get a clear understanding of what all the issues are and all the potential options and priorities are, and then we come up with okay based on our experience what's the pathway what's the roadmap to get from where you are to that destination that you want to get to. So we put together a roadmap template that people can use themselves uh, to apply to their own business. If you go to wolfsedgeintegrators.com forward slash resources, there's a roadmap there that you can download. It's an Excel format. It gives you some ideas on a number of stages. And so you could fill in what applies to you. There's a 10 minute video instructions on how to use the roadmap for yourself. So that's wolfsedgeintegrators.com forward slash resources. You can download there a roadmap that you could use yourself. That's one resource or tip I think that can be useful. Hmm. Very good.
1: Very good. Anything
0: from just a leadership
1: standpoint that uh, you've seen from dealing with leaders that are fractional, leaders that are business owners, anything that comes to mind that you can share this big
0: leadership tip? Stop compromising on your dreams. You are, you are like, what, why are you not firing the people who are not performing who you love, right? Why are you not holding people accountable for the results that they're supposed to get? Because you love them or and because you're a nice guy or you're a nice gal, right? But presumably... You're in whatever the business your business is because you want to make an impact in the world. You have bigger dreams for yourself, for your children, for your grandchildren, for your community, for your customers. you have some bigger dreams for yourself, and you're enslaving yourself to mediocrity into a life of babysitting by not by not taking your own dreams more seriously and so I, I guess I would just say. Stop being so nice because you are, because your niceness sometimes is really cruelty because you're robbing yourself and your spouse and your children and the world and your customers of whatever your mission and your dreams are for your business. And for the short-term avoidance of hard conversations and hard decisions uh, because you're such a nice person. Stop being so nice. You heard it from me. Stop being so nice and take your dreams seriously. Make hard (laughs) decisions.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I think it's, uh, yeah, I like that. Be mature, have mature conversations, mature decisions. I like that. The book is Fractional Leadership, Landing Executive Talent You Thought Was Out of Reach. Ben, who should get a hold of this book? I enjoyed the heck out of it. I thought it was a great read, but I'd love for you to tell us who should go get it. And then maybe lead into where they could find it and things like that. And we have a few more questions before we wrap up here.
0: Sure. The book is for, well, it's written for business owners. So first and foremost, anybody with a business, if you've got some kind of gap on your leadership team, right? You or somebody else is sitting in multiple seats or you have somebody on the leadership team or you have somebody, no, nobody that's filling certain seats, important functions of your business or you've got the wrong person potentially or an underperforming person in certain roles in the business, that's, you should read it. It's you, using someone fractionally, not necessarily needing somebody for you. Maybe full-time will work, but might not. And so it's worth learning about whether you can fill that gap or replace that underperforming person with, or replace yourself if you're that underperforming person in, in, in a certain role in the business if you're sitting in two or three seats and potentially the fractional to explore it that way. I have been told by a lot of fractional executives, whether part of firms or solo practitioners, that they've got that even though the business owners are the target audience, so to speak, of the book, but that's who it's officially written to, but that they've gotten a lot of value from it in understanding the fractional role better or understanding if they want to go into a fractional role or if they're already in it to get a better understanding of it, better understanding of it, or to get terms and ideas and ways of explaining things maybe that you struggled with explaining when people asked you questions. I've been told a lot that it would be helpful in giving people words to explain concepts that they knew but had a difficult time explaining.
1: Hmm. Okay. They can find it, I guess, wherever books are available and
0: yeah, it's look Amazon, it's Audible, Kindle, a paperback hardcover, uh whatever format you want it, it's it's available. Sure.
1: Tell us about the podcast, Win-Win. Is that the name? Win? Yeah,
0: Win-win, the Win-Win podcast. Our theme is anything that gives value for small and mid-sized business owners. That's really our theme. So it's kind of a wide variety of things that would give value to those kind of business owners. It's not really focused on personal growth, except as it applies to business owners. It's not really focused on things that would be only applicable to solo practitioners or people in large corporate environments, it's Really, small and mid-sized business owners or, or leaders. That's who it's uh, applicable for, anything that would give value for them. And Chris Voss recently from Never Split the Difference on the show. And Marcus Sheridan from They Ask You Answer. A lot of really good people.
1: Yeah, I think I listened to some of that Chris Voss. That was really good. I actually watched it on YouTube. So y'all have YouTube just like we do. And we're calling these podcasts, but now they're just, there's content out there. If someone just wanted to connect with you, Ben, where do you want to direct them? Where should they go if they just want to get with you? Either, I don't know, know you want to go to LinkedIn, website, whatever, just Tell us that LinkedIn works.
0: Yeah. Just LinkedIn. LinkedIn is perfect. If it's for me, if it's anything about wolfsedgeintegrators.com, there's a lot of good information there. A lot of FAQs, videos, long blogs and videos that just answer your major questions. But, but if it's to connect with me, LinkedIn is the best.
1: Excellent. Ben, we're seek, go create those three words that we mashed together for this podcast title. I'm going to let you pick one of those as my last question. Seek, Go or create, which word, I don't know, means more to you, resonates with, with you more than the other two and why?
0: I don't know if everybody says this, but it's create, it's building big things. That's what I enjoy is, is building things, building teams, building my company, building other people's companies, creations. what resonates with me. Mm,
1: very good. Not everyone says that. It's actually
0: pretty evenly
1: divided. It okay. really is. Ben Wolf, thanks for joining us on Seat Go, Create. This has been a great conversation. Loved the conversation about fractional leadership, and I highly recommend if if you're listening in, go get the book, Fractional Leadership, especially if you don't know much about it or want to know more. It is a great read, and it's perfect to get educated and understand what it is and how it might benefit you and your organization if you lead an organization. And then also check out Win-Win, the podcast. I think that would be a great place to jump right when you're finishing up here because you're already on your podcast player. And you can go over, I think it's a great compliment. I listened to some of the things there and it is a great compliment to what we're doing here. So thanks for joining us. We have new episodes every Monday. Until next time here at Seek Go Create, continue being all that you were created to be.